Today's uh, scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, uh, chapter 19, verse 28 to 44. <clears throat> and when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Beth, Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a cold tide, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would you even know, sorry, would you, would, would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the reading of God's word. Well, thanks, thanks for uh, reading scripture. It's um, good to be here. I know that it is spring break for many of our children, and sometimes some of us are away, and it's that time of year again. But um, for me, it's a time to come back. Let me just start off by saying... Um, I just want to thank uh, the elders and the leadership of the church for allowing me the time to take off uh, a few months and um, to kind of just get a little breath and get some perspective. Uh, I want to thank the church and you guys, uh, those who have been faithful to serve, uh, to continue to maintain uh, the ministry. I'm thankful for you. Um, I have a lot to share about, I think, what I was thinking about the past three months, but uh, it's... I come at a time where now it's a Passion Week and Easter is next Sunday, so I really want to just kind of focus on that and get through that, and then maybe that after that we'll get to see a little bit more, a few other things that, that I think just come to my mind. Um, I haven't preached for three months, okay, so uh, I'm a little rusty, right? Uh, it, was, it was, those of you who have a hard time coming to church, <laughs> Why are you laughing? Those of you who have a hard time coming to church, I'd always think as a pastor, well, what's wrong with you? You know, it's once a week. Can't you make the time? Just get your butt to church. I mean, it's just once a week. I get it now. <laughs> it was, I don't know. It was just unmotivated, even for me, to go to another church and, and listen to someone else preach. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was hard not seeing some of the same people. And, and now that we have this technology called YouTube, 
and the internet, it was so easy maybe just to stay home and watch things online. Uh, I, I, I get it now. It's hard. Uh, there are nice things to do on Sundays, a little more freedom. There's, the weather is great now, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm rusty. I haven't preached. Uh, I turned down my brother. He wanted me to preach at his church. When I, I said, no, I'm on sabbatical. And he was like, what's wrong with you? Uh, so so uh, just let me just try to get through this um, and get back into the groove of things. Next week is Easter Sunday, so this is technically what we call the Passion Week. You probably already know that. So today is really called Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, as you know, uh, happens right now, begins in here in this passage in Jerusalem. Um, and I just got three things I want to point, point out to you here. There are three Ps to remember, okay? Uh, easy way to do it. There is a position... Uh, there's, there's people, and there's a plan, okay? There's a position that's emphasized in this passage. There's a people that, that are displayed in this passage, and, and there's a plan, all right? So let's look at this. It's Passover season in our passage, and so everybody is coming to Jerusalem. Everybody's coming. Many are coming that way, and so is Jesus. The only thing about Jesus is this. Along with him, there are crowds of people following him, heading to the city of Jerusalem. And the reason is because this guy for the past three years has been doing miracle after miracle. He's been doing all these awesome things, teaching all these wonderful things like no other person ever did. And so, so he's kind of a celebrity. And they're following him during Passover to go to Jerusalem like every other good Jew does. If you read the Gospel of John chapter 12, the, the same account, they're praising him as he comes into the city. They're saying, Hosanna, which literally means save us, please save us. Uh, when you read John chapter 12, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, uh, Psalm 118 talks about them throwing palm branches. They're throwing palm branches in front of his feet, right? Now, why did they do that? Because throwing palm branches, palm branches were a national military symbol. They usually did that for someone who was coming in with victory. Why did they do that for Jesus? Because he's the king coming in with victory. In verse 36 of our passage, he's going and they're spreading their garments, their cloaks, their, their, their outerwear right in front of him as he kind of walks by. And what, what's that about? Well, you read 2 Kings and people did this. There was a custom to symbolize that they were submitting to the person coming in. If you wanted to show submission to someone, normally what you would do is you throw your body in front of them. But if you threw your body in front of Jesus, riding in on this horse or this colt, you might get hurt, or Jesus might get hurt. So what did they do? They threw their clothes. They threw their cloaks, right? Uh, it was a way to represent their submission. They were saying, as they throw their cloaks before Jesus' feet, they were saying, we place ourselves under your feet. That's why thrones were elevated, and you were down there, right? It was symbolic of submission to his majesty and his authority. And so they're saying, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, they're throwing palm branches, they're throwing their cloaks, we place ourselves under your feet. Why? Because he's the king. He's the king. In our passage, it says as Jesus was coming in, people were rejoicing, they were praising God, they were singing probably of all the things that he had done. They were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. What are they doing here? It's worship fit for a king. Why? 
Because Jesus is the king. That's the position. That's his position. That's his role. That's his identity. He's the king. And the question we learn from this first point is this. Is he your king? Is he your king? Do you submit to his will? Do you follow him in your life? Do you come to church to really worship this king and worship him as your king? That's the position now he has. He's the king. Second point, the people. And here's where I really want to focus because um, it's not so much that Jesus is the king. We already knew this, and we'll look at that maybe a little more next Sunday. But what I want to focus on a little bit more are the people, right? The second P, the people. These people who are coming to Jesus, doing all these things, even as an act of worship. You know, over the past three months, I got to meet a and hang out with other fellow pastors, you know, some older, some younger, but, you know, I got to tell you, it was kind of depressing. No one's happy. No one, no one seemed happy. They could have a big church, you know, and they just seemed not happy. They're cynical and, and, and just, uh, you know, just, just not happy. They're upset. You have sick pastors or a small church, same thing. Uh, and, and, and as we talk about it, and as we share our miseries, um, what's the problem with us? What, what, what's the problem? And, and we came to the conclusion, and it's this. For pastors, the biggest problem is people. It's people. People are the biggest problem for pastors. And it's not that they're just sinful. It's because people are complicated. They're so complicated. You know, uh, a friend of mine tried to teach his kids not to curse, and the way he did it was he have a jar, and maybe you've heard this or you've done this, um, and um, every time there, his kids would fight and someone would curse, he would show up, and they would see him, and they would not curse, and they would say something nice. They would do the complete opposite, and he would put a dollar in the jar, Right? And so this was his way of encouraging and reinforcing good behavior, not curse, say good words. And every time that he caught them saying good words, he put a dollar in the jar. And the thing is, the thing is, the kids learned that they would say good words only when they saw the father. But when he wasn't around, all sorts of words just come out. You see, the kids learned the right action, the right response, good words. But the intentions of why they did that was completely off. You see that? Right response, but completely wrong intentions. They want the money. They want the reward. Some years ago, uh, I was at a flag football game, and uh, one of the players actually cracked his sternum. But nobody knew that, because he was just walking around fine, but it just kept talking about an ache in his chest. And he looked in pain, and so I went over there, and not knowing there was a cracked sternum, I started rubbing his chest, right? Just trying to rub that. I thought it was a muscle ache. I just tried to rub it out. He immediately collapsed to the ground, right? And I, I had no idea what I did. And it's because he had a cracked sternum. See, uh, sternum. In that sense, you see, I had the right intention, but it was the wrong action. My friend who tried to teach his kids the kids learned the right action, the right response, 
had the wrong intentions, the wrong reasons. I tried to help out a friend. It was the right reasons, but it was the wrong move. You see how complicated things get, even things like this? Sometimes we have the right intentions. We have good intentions. We have good reasons for what we do, what we say. But we end up, for some reason, doing the wrong thing, the wrong response. And other times, I do the right thing. I have the right response, but my intentions for doing these things are completely off. What I intend to do and what I actually do don't always line up right. And this is what I think is what is complicated about people, especially other people, when I try and figure out what they're thinking and what they're doing. You can't always figure it out. And it's, I think, part of what it means to live in a fallen world. I mention this because here in our passage, it's Palm Sunday, and the people are waving their palm branches and laying down their cloaks, and they're shouting Hosanna in the highest, and they have no idea... They have no idea about how they're going to fail the test. Because seven days later, just a week later, people are once again gathered around Jesus. They're not saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're not waving palm leaves. They're not singing praises. They're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And it's amazing, even embarrassing, how people can be so quick to change, so fickle, so inconsistent. You know how it feels. One moment you think you're someone's best friend, but the next moment you feel like they're enemy. One moment you feel like you're the most popular person in the room, and the next moment you feel like nobody likes you. And in our passage then, people are saying, Hail Jesus, hail Jesus. And just days later, they are screaming, Nail Jesus, nail Jesus. Just like that. So I'm reading this passage and I'm thinking, you know, they're only hailing Jesus as king because they don't really get it. They, they, they don't know what's about to go down. They, they, you know, it's just empty praise. I mean, he's Riding in on a colt, a donkey. Kings don't do that. They ride in on horses. They ride in on chariots. They don't know why he's riding on a donkey. They don't remember how many times Jesus says he has to die. They, they seem to not notice that while everyone around him is cheering with joy, Jesus looks a little sad. In fact, when you read verse 41 later on this chapter, he wept, he wept, he weeps, he cries over the city. They come to Jesus. These people come to Jesus to praise him, to worship him like a god. It's probably the right thing to do, the right response, but they still don't get it. They're doing it for the wrong intentions or reasons. They're coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Maybe he's the one that's going to bring nation of Israel to power again. Let's worship him as king. Maybe he's the one that will relieve our financial burdens. Let's go to him as our king. Maybe he's the one that will break these unlawful taxes upon the people. Let's go to him. He's our leader. Maybe he's the one that can help me with my relationships. Maybe he's the one that can give me wealth. Maybe he's the one that will give me health. Maybe he can make me great and successful in this world again. But Jesus weeps because he knows what he's come to do. And it's not to make America great again. 
It's not to make people great and successful in the world again. It's to save them from it. To save them from it. Right response, hail the king, wrong intention. In our famous poem, Murder in the Cathedral, T.S. Eliot says, "'Tis the greatest treason to do the right thing but for the wrong reason." End quote. Let me ask you a question this afternoon. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why did you come to meet? Or who did you come to meet? When you go to God, if you ever go to God, if you ever pray to Jesus, why do you do it? Coming to church, great. Praying, great. We probably don't do enough. But what's your real intention? What's your goal? What's your reason? And so even though here in our event, the Gospel of Luke, it seems like a joyous occasion, but it's quite sad because you and I, we know what's going to happen in the days to come, right? We know what's going to happen. We know about the betrayal. We know about the denial. We know about the abandonment that's going to come. We know about this monkey trial and the beating and the carrying of the cross. And this Friday, we'll remember the nails and the spear and the sour wine. We all know that's going to happen. We know better. In fact, I think to myself, because I know what this is all about, if I was there during this time, I would be different. I would go to Jesus with the right intentions. I would go to Jesus for the right reasons. But the irony of the story is that the disciples knew too. They should have, if they were paying attention to the least of what he was saying. He told them more than once this was all going to happen. He'd do something really cool. He would heal someone. He would perform some act of miracle. He would teach something amazing. His followers would be like, wow, that's really nice. And then he would take that opportunity to say, hey, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of authorities. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. They knew just as much as we did. So before we point the finger at these people, we're having the wrong intentions even though the response might be right, before we start thinking we'd be different because we know better now, we should remember there's one guy who steps in that would have done what I did, that, that had, I think, the right intention. His name was Peter. Just moments before the entrance to Jerusalem, if you read Matthew chapter 16, Peter and Jesus and the disciples have this discussion. Jesus says to them, I've got to go to Jerusalem I've got to suffer many things. I'm going to be killed, and then the third day, I'm going to be raised. Just plainly. You know what Peter says? Peter says, don't go. Jesus, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Because that's where prophets go and get themselves killed. Jesus, don't do it. You're too good to lose. You're too loving for that kind of thing. There's got to be some other way. There's got to be something we could do about this. Don't do it. And what happens? When Peter tried to talk Jesus out of it, Jesus didn't pat him on the back and say, hey, you know what? You're right. These people aren't worth it. You're right. Thanks, friend. Not even close. What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, if the people in our passage are praising Jesus at Jerusalem for doing the right thing, right, 
with the, you know, for the wrong reason, Peter is the opposite. Peter was doing the wrong thing with right intentions, with good intentions. He had good reason. It was just the wrong response. It was so wrong, his response, that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't get it either, Jesus is saying. Don't try to stop me. I have work to do. You might think you know better. You've got the right motives. You're still wrong. You know what this is like, right? Practically, you know what people are like. You ever say something because you really care for someone, but it was taken as hurtful? That's not what I meant. You ever did something you thought was meant for good, but it ended up being wrong? That's not what my intentions were. Good intentions. Wrong response or bad responses. So here's the point. No matter how much we think we're smarter, stronger, wiser, older, more informed, more equipped, the reality is I think we are no different than the shouting crowds those who do the right thing for the wrong reason. And we are no different from Peter. Those who do the wrong thing, even if they have right reasons. Right intentions, wrong response. Wrong intentions, but right response. I mean, how, how do you put it together? How do you figure this out? It's hard to figure it out sometimes. and It can be very complicated. Sometimes I don't even know. Like, even myself, I, I, I wonder, you know, why am I coming back to church? And why do I go to church? Is it because it's my job and I need an income and if I don't do it, then I won't have it? Is that, is that my real intention? Or will I preach to you about love and Jesus and grace? If you've got a problem and I say to you, hey, you know what? God still loves you. He's so gracious, right? Maybe the right response, but is my intentions really that? Man, you are such a loser, Right? I, I, I'm confused sometimes even myself. I mean, right intentions, wrong actions, wrong intentions, right actions. It, it's hard. But the point is, just because we're technologically advanced, more educated and equipped, it doesn't necessarily culturally put us in some category of new and improved people. I think this. We're just as lame as the people in the Bible. Because to God, there is no better class of improved people. They're just people. It's just people. Can you imagine how Jesus must have felt? It's Passion Week. He's going to be put on trial. He knows he's going to be tortured and crucified, and he's going to die for these kind of people. People who come to him for wrong intentions. They don't want to be saved. They want a handout. Or people who come to him with wrong actions, but good intentions. They like me, but they have no clue what I want. And he's going to give his life for them. And I'll be very honest, if I was in his position, I wouldn't do it. Because that's people. Okay? He's the king. There's people. Now, third point is this. There's a plan. Did you notice, uh, saying right at the passage, about how Jesus wanted his disciples to go and get this colt, this donkey, that was tied up at this place, and if anyone asks why you're taking it, just, just tell them I need it. Did you notice he knew exactly, Jesus knew exactly where that colt or that donkey was, right? He knew exactly where it was. He knew exactly it was going to be tied up. You know, when they, when they cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, 
Jesus knew this is exactly what was going to happen because Psalm 118 talks about that. When he comes in, riding in on this donkey, Jesus knew that's exactly what was going to happen. Zechariah chapter 9 already talked about that. Jesus did exactly as God his Father said. He had a plan from the very beginning. And here's the thing that I want us to understand when you think about people, okay? Whether you're a pastor or not. Yes, Jesus lived a life that people should have been living. And he died a death for people that people should have died. But I want you to know this. It wasn't because he was so faithful to people. It wasn't because he thought people were so good and so lovable and they've got it all together, the right intentions with the right responses. Jesus knew people. He knew how lame they could be. He knew how fickle they are. He knew how hypocritical, how inconsistent they were. He knew they were sinners. But the point here is that it didn't matter. It didn't matter He was still going to do what he had to do, not because he was faithful to people first, but because he was faithful to his father first. His plan, his mission, his sovereign will. Jesus says to God the Father, yes, I will do this no matter what. And here's why this is good news. Because if Jesus did what he did based on my intentions, or based on my responses, there would be no way he would have gone through with it. But this is why he's the king. Because no amount of improved humanity could have stopped him. No good intentions, no good acts of nobility, no good works, no good sin avoidance, no religious piety, no lack of religious piety would ever change what he was going to do. No amount of super good discipleship or wisdom or hindsight would make a lick of difference to God's determination to draw all people to himself through Jesus Christ lifted on a cross. Let's be honest for a moment. When you come to church, what are you here for? Why do you come to church? Now, I'm not telling you to give me the right answer. What's your real intention? Let's be honest. Some of you, you come for Jesus. You really want to know Jesus and you want to worship him. Some of you, you come for your kids. Surround them with good Christian kids. They'll be good people. Some of you, you come for friends. doesn't matter what church, what the sermon is, your friend's there. You've got fellowship. Some of you, you come to church to serve. You've got something to do. And if you don't do it, no one's going to do it, so you've got to show up. Some of you maybe come with completely wrong intentions or reasons. I don't know. I can't read your heart. But I want you to know this. Whatever your reasons are, maybe it doesn't matter. Jesus knew, and nothing would stop him from still doing what needed to be done. Why? Because He's the sovereign king. And as soon as we think that the good news is, well, I know better now, I wouldn't be like these people here in our passage, we're mistaken. 
As soon as we think, well, the good news is now we know how to do the right things for the, for the right reasons, and that's why we're doing it, would be a mistake. The good news here is that even though sometimes we might not be better, not that much more improved, still sinners, wrong intentions, or wrong motivations, or wrong responses, the good news that here seeing, we're seeing here is this, he's still our king. He is our sovereign, gracious king, and he still saves. And it had to happen like this. He knew the crowds had the wrong intentions. That didn't stop him. He knew Peter had good intentions, but the wrong solution. That didn't stop him. He's the sovereign king. So there had to be crowds who shout praise, and there had to be friends who betrayed, and followers who denied, and women who wept, and soldiers who mocked, and thieves who believed. It would have happened like this even if the Jesus event were to happen today, even if we knew everything in advance, even if we were the ones shouting Hosanna, and then a few days later cry out, crucify him. There is no improved version of people that would have done it differently. So here's my closing words. Go ahead. Don't wait and try to figure out if your motivations are correct. Don't wait till you, you're sure you believe every line of the Apostles' Creed. Don't worry about coming to church this week for the right reasons or doing and saying the right thing with church people. Wave your branches. Shout praise, even if it's for the wrong reason. Eat a meal. Have your feet washed. Go through the motions. Go through the moments of frustration and anger and down, even disbelief. Even if you shout crucify him, walk away when the rooster crows. But I want you to know this. Jesus still is the sovereign king. And his grace is not conditional, but it's sovereign grace. And he came to seek and save people like us, lost, who still struggle to get it together, our hearts, our minds, our actions, our words, our intentions, our responses. He's a sovereign king who is also our savior. So trust in him. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for for you and for everything that you've done. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we're not grateful enough. Maybe we're not thoughtful enough. Uh, we, we are rushed with life and to do the things we want to do and need to do. And um, I, I pray we, we're thankful for Sundays. And um, for whatever reason, Lord, people come to you. We trust that you will always do what you have to do to break through into our minds, into our hearts, into our thoughts. And so, Lord, it doesn't depend on my intentions or it doesn't depend on my responses 
to you or to other people. It just depends on you. It would be easy, Lord, to become cynical and just uh, critical as we look at people, lift our eyes away from ourselves and lift them to our king. You are the sovereign king of grace. You will do what you have said you will do, and we trust it will be done. And that that be hope for us wherever we are in life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.